Well, good morning. It's great to be with you again. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in the book of Matthew today, Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 20, or excuse me, 25 through 30. We've been in a series on rest, and what we have seen so far is this, is that we were designed by God for both godly work and godly rest. God Himself sets this order in the beginning. In Genesis 1, we see it right off the bat, right? We see God creating, God doing work, creating the world in six days. And on the seventh day, we see what? Rest. So God establishes this pattern for us. We see Him giving the same pattern to Adam. And so Adam is given what's called by theologians as the cultural mandate. This mandate that says to fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, And that was the work that Adam was to do. He was literally to extend God's goodness, God's beauty, God's kingdom to the ends of the world. That was the good work he was called to do. He was designed to do that good work. In relational rest with his creator. We're told that Adam walked with God in the cool of the garden. In the cool of the day. There was a relational rest that he had with the Lord. That he had with God, his father. Now we know in Genesis 3, this is shattered. It's broken. And so you and I, although we were designed for both godly work and godly rest, our default now is that we don't know how to do that. Since Genesis 3, that has been broken. It's been marred for every single one of us. And we've seen that over and over in this series, and we've seen that this is a theme, not just of the book of Genesis, but throughout the whole of scriptures. And so my goal today is to talk about this relational rest that is offered to us in the gospel, in this book of Matthew. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to jump right in. Actually, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in. Starting in verse 25, again, Matthew 11. God's word, it says this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray together. Father, I... I beg, by your grace and mercy, Lord, would I get out of the way? Would we behold glorious, priceless, beautiful things from this portion of your word? And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. 
Amen. I recently picked up this book here and started to read it. The title is The 40 Favorite Hymns of the Christian Faith. Okay, It's subtitled as this, as a closer look at their spiritual and poetic meaning. The very first story in here is about a man named Joseph Scriffin. Joseph was a man who grew up in Northern Ireland. At the age of 24, he was set to be married. He was engaged. But on the night before his wedding, his fiancée was thrown from her horse, fell into a river, and drowned. And Joseph looked on. He could do nothing to help her. He was struck by such grief that he decided to devote his life to a life of poverty, to a life of service. And so he moved from Northern Ireland all the way to, um, to Canada where he was going to give his life in the service of the underprivileged. But when he was in Canada... He, uh, he met another young lady that he fell in love with and got engaged again, only to find the same result. Shortly before his marriage, his second fiance got pneumonia and she passed away. It wasn't long after that that Joseph got a note in the mail that said, your mom back in Ireland is sick and she'll soon go home and be with the Lord. Now, Joseph had a deep an abiding faith. He had a rest and trust in God that went beyond words. Through life's hardest trials and tribulations, he was resting, resting in the promises of God. He wrote a poem to his mom about his resting and his trust in the Lord. That title was called this, Pray Without Ceasing. Okay? That poem would later be um, put to music and the title would be changed to What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Okay, Many times this is sung with young ones, but I want you to listen to these lyrics of this poem then put to music. Listen to this. Listen to his rest in the Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What peace, what rest we often forfeit and what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we, have you trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. We should be resting. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, still our rest. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Despite all that was going on in this man's life, he had a deep and abiding rest in who Christ was. You know, the problem is that the drift of the human heart is towards self-reliance. 
It's not towards rest in Christ. It's towards self-justification. It's towards defining rest our own way. Christ this morning says to us, come to me because He alone offers true rest. Come to me. Now, we see this drift right off the bat, right here in our text. Starting in verse 25, it says this. It says, at this time, Jesus declared, okay? And so a good uh, exegetical Bible study person would say, well, what is this time, right? So we're going to check out our context. At this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. What are these things that have been hidden from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children? Yes, Father, for such was your gracious Will. And so we see it's the will of God to conceal something, these things, from the wise and understanding of the day and to reveal them to little children. Okay? And so if we take a look at our context, what we'll see is this, is that Jesus is telling us that we live in a restless world. Our world is chaotic. This is a chaotic time in the ministry of Jesus, and he lives in a very restless world. Take a look at the context of Matthew 11. Matthew 11 begins with John the Baptist asking some tough questions. John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus, and he asks the question, Are you the one, or should we look for another? Are you the one we've longed for, or is there another to come, Jesus? And why is he sending his disciples? Because John the Baptist is in jail. He's been imprisoned for preaching the gospel. He's in a, he's in a place that's, that has very little ventilation, that's hot and muggy. People are chained together. It's not these nice little individual cells that we think about in terms of our prison for today. Matter of fact, I was reading one commentator, and he said this, that the jail in that time, or the prison in that time, was designed specifically to psychologically and physically torture the people in it. He's going through a tough time. He's he's got it rough right now, and so he's asking a tough question. Are you the one that we've waited for our whole lives? Are you the one that's going to give rest to our souls? Uh, Matthew 11 goes on from there, and Jesus says, What shall I compare this generation to? You're like kids in a marketplace. I play the flute and you say, you did not dance for me. Or you sing a dirge, it says, and you did not mourn. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you're never satisfied. Your hearts are always at unrest. There's nothing that ever satisfies this generation. From there, he goes on to pronounce these woes to these cities. Okay, So he'll say, like, woe to you. And then he names off several cities and he goes on to say, It would have been better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Because if they would have seen these works, they would have repented. And so we see this is a chaotic time in Jesus' ministry. But he lives in a very chaotic world. And don't we too? We live in a very chaotic time. We live in a chaotic world world. If you think about it, we have nations at war. Nations that we know about from the news and nations that we don't even know about at war with one another. We have college campuses around our country trying to redefine morality. 
redefine what's good and what's evil. We have this redefinition of things in our day and time. We live in a chaotic time. Our world is restless. You know, this year our VBS is the sanctity of life, the value of life because it all comes from God. And yet 42 million abortions every single year around our world. Brothers and sisters, we live in a chaotic time, in a chaotic world. 68,000 women will die approximately this year while giving an abortion. That's not counting the kids that die. 68,000 women will go in for abortion and will lose their life because of bad practices and things of that nature. That means one woman every eight minutes will die. Even while we sit here talking this morning, Around our world, we live in a very chaotic world, in a very chaotic time. But here's the problem. They didn't see it. They didn't see their unrest. He pronounces woes on cities because they don't see their need to rest in Christ. And many of us don't see our need to rest in Christ. We don't see our need. We're burning out. We have all of these things going on, and we don't see it. You know, my kids, when they need to go to sleep, uh, they've got these obvious symptoms, okay? If you have kids or you've been around tired kids, you know this to be true. Uh, so my kids, they're already hyperactive, but it's like doubly so or triply so when they're overly tired. They become super hyperactive, and uh, it's, they're, they're going a 1,000 miles an hour, and it's like I'm trying to tell them, hey, settle down, you settle down. And it's like they, they hear that, and all they're hearing is speed up, speed up. I don't know why that's the case, but that's all they're hearing. And, uh, and so I can see that they're getting tired. Matter of fact, uh, my wife's mom used to call it the witching hour. I don't know if that's a common phrase or not. But the witching hour meant those hour or hour or so before nighttime when they were a little bit too tired and they just went crazy, okay? So that's what that is. So they would get hyperactive and crazy, but then uh, when they're overly tired, they also get a little fussy, a little cranky, right? Oliver looked at me wrong and she just loses it, right? It's like you chopped her arm off. You're like, oh my gosh, are you hurt? No, Oliver looked at me the wrong way. And so I tell my kids, you're tired. And what do they say? No, I'm not tired. I'm sorry, Daddy. I'll, I'll quit crying. I'll fix it, Daddy. We'll calm down, Daddy. I'm, I'm sorry. They don't see their need to rest. I, uh, I made Madeline, who, by the way, hates taking a nap. I made her take a nap a few weeks ago. And, uh, and she was boo-hoo crying all the way to the bed. And so she goes and she takes a nap and she wakes up and she wakes up. She says, Dad, I guess I really was tired. Thanks for making me take a nap. I was like, you're welcome, sweetheart. St. Augustine, Tanner told us our first week, St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. The problem is we don't recognize our restless hearts. Many of us don't recognize it. So let me ask you this morning, are you learning the symptoms of your own restless heart? We all have them. Are you learning the symptoms, you know, are you asking the question, why am I so angry? Or why does this make me so anxious? 
Or why am I pulling away from my church community? Are you asking yourself the tough questions? Are you seeing the symptoms in your own life of a lack of rest? And then let me ask you this. Are you helping others? Are you lovingly sharing with others the symptoms in their own life that highlight this lack of rest? And are you lovingly wooing them to the one who can give it? We live in a restless world. But look what Jesus says in verse 28. He recognizes this great need. You are at rest. We live in an unrestful world. And what does Jesus say? Verse 28, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, He offers relationship. He says, come to me. You know, I called Enterprise the other day because I'm trying to get this tax exemption form so that we don't have to pay taxes on our vans to go to camp. It saves us a couple hundred dollars. And here's what they've done. They've, uh, they've basically said, you know, Patrick, uh, you got to call our business department to get that done. So I call the business department. And you know what the business department says? Oh, actually, you got to go back to the branch. But what they're saying is, don't come to me. You get that. I don't know how to do that. You figure that out some other way. Right? But what does Jesus say about our our greatest need. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. He goes on to say in verse 29, he answers the question, how? How do we come? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, Uh, this idea of a yoke may not be familiar to you and I very much, or maybe it is, but it would have been super familiar to Jesus and those around him hearing this. A yoke would be just this wooden cross piece that was designed to basically tie two animals together so that they would pull together and, and get some work done be able to produce more work. Matter of fact, you've heard of the idea of unequally yoked. What that would be is a a strong ox and a weak ox. And what would happen is in an unequally yoked situation, not much work would get done because the strong ox would pull and the weak ox wouldn't pull as much. And so they'd essentially just do a circle. Okay, That's where the idea of unequally yoked comes from. Okay, And so what Jesus says here, the design of the, the yoke was designed to give direction. It was designed to give submission to the animals in direction of what they were doing to accomplish a task. Okay, That's what it's designed to do. The animals would be submissive. Okay, uh, And so what Jesus is saying here is take my yoke. Trust, take my direction, take my power, submit, submit to me, okay? Follow me, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's telling us here is this. Don't have your own agenda when you come. Don't have your own direction. You're restless. Do you see it? Do you recognize your need? And if you do, do you trust me? Would you submit to me? Because here's what I promise you. My yoke is easy. And my burden is 
light. Come to me. Enter into this relationship. And he had just told us that no one knows the Father except for the Son, and no one knows the Son except for the Father, and all who reveal him, and all who the Son reveals them to. And then he says, All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and take this yoke upon you. You know, I can think of no better illustration than one that's probably familiar to all of us in this room. It's uh, the Charles Blondin story. Okay, maybe you're not familiar with the name, but you're probably familiar with the story. He was a renowned tightrope walker. Okay, he lived 100 years ago or so. And uh, he had done all of these crazy things, okay? He had ridden a bike on a tightrope. He had walked with stilts on a tightrope. He had even cooked an omelet one time walking on a tightrope. I don't know how he did that, but he did it. Well, he had set up a tightrope over Niagara Falls. It's a true story. Set up a a tightrope over Niagara Falls, and he goes across Niagara Falls without without a safety net, okay? And he comes back, and he's got a wheelbarrow. Okay? And so he, 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 he's got the crowd excited. The crowd's all cheering him on. And he silences them and he says this. He says, who here now believes I can do that again but with somebody in the wheelbarrow? And they're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, uh, it sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. So they're all cheering him on. We believe, we believe you can do that, Charles. And he goes, okay, now I need a volunteer. (laughs) Right? And they grew silent. And one man steps up and he raises his hand. He says, I'll go. He looks out over the crowd and he says, all of you said you believed. But only this one man trusts. Only the one man really trusted me. When Jesus says, you take my yoke upon you, it's all in. When he says, follow me, it's all in. But he promises, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you more concerned with your own agenda than your heavenly fathers? Are you more concerned about what you have going on or are you more concerned about doing the will of the one who says his burden is light? Are you trusting in yourself? Or are you in full submission and trust? And when you're in full submission and trust is when we see the very last thing we see here is that he will give us rest. Look, look at the type of rest that he offers. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find, what? You'll find rest for your soul. The rest that you and I are longing for. You will find the rest for your soul when you come to Christ and you give Him full submission. There's a spiritual rest that is only found in Christ Jesus. This is bigger than a Sunday nap, right? It's bigger than that kind of rest. It's bigger than a vacation that you may be longing for today. It's bigger, it's something that money can't buy. It's a deep relational rest. It's a peace, it's a reconciliation with the Father, and it's a peace amidst all that's going on in our world. That I am, as we learned this morning in Sunday school, I am in Christ. And if He is for me, then who can stand against me? It brings that kind of 
rest. Um, Eric Little was a Scottish sprinter. Maybe you've heard of him before. He was a Scottish sprinter, a rugby player, and he was a, wound up being a missionary in China. In 1981, a movie called Chariots of Fire uh, came out about him, and uh, it portrayed his life. Okay, So this man, Henry Eric Little, or Eric Henry Little, excuse me, um, he lived a life where he had found his identity. He had found his worth. He had found his everything. He was resting in Christ. There's this scene in the movie where he's talking to his sister, and he says this to his sister, Eric does. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. So he was a sprinter. He was a runner. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. In other words, whether I win or whether I lose, I run for Jesus. I'm resting, resting in the promise of who he is. His character is contrasted with a guy named Harold Abrams, okay? And Harold was trying to prove his value. He was trying to prove his worth. That was what he was doing with his life. Harold tells his buddy, Aubrey. There's a scene where he tells his buddy, Aubrey. He's about to get ready to go race. He says this. And now in one hour's time, I'm going to be out there again. And, my, and I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? Ten lonely seconds. So many of us live that way. He, he goes on to say this later on in the movie. He says, you, Aubrey are my most complete man. You're brave, compassionate, kind, a content man. This is your secret, contentment. I'm 24 years old and I've never known it. I am forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. The sign of a restless soul. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. Do you know this rest? Do you see the symptoms in your own life? And are you, if you are in Christ, are you coming again and again back to Him? Are you coming to Him for the rest that only He offers? Or are you never satisfied and you're chasing after what you don't even know? Come to Christ because only He this day and every day, can give you rest. Let's pray. Father God, I am grateful. I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful that you offer rest. I'm thankful, Lord, that there's only rest that can be found in you, God. When, when our world is restless, when we are restless, God, when we have been lost and broken and all things have been distorted because of sin, you didn't leave us there. You sought us out and you invited us. You said, come to me. You didn't send us away. You didn't send us to somebody else. But the one who has all authority in the world, the one who is in complete control, the one who is sovereign over all things, says, come to me. And so, Lord, may we go to you. May we come to Christ, not only now, and maybe if there is anybody here that needs to come to Christ for the very first time, that they would do so. But may all of us in this room, Lord, every single day, find our rest, our hope in you.
We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have lost my...